Well, if you would open your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, to the Gospel of Matthew, what we've decided to do is to take the next few weeks leading up to Easter uh, to do some uh, topics and passages that we think are very, very relevant uh, to this particular cultural moment. And then we will have our Easter Sunday service. We're going to be talking about uh, the hope of resurrection that we have very appropriate in this season. And then after Easter, our intention is to return uh, to our series in the Gospel of Mark. So just give you a little bit of an idea of what we're planning on doing. Uh, we're looking forward to returning, but we also wanted to take advantage of these few weeks to talk about some things that seem to uh, seem very valuable at this particular moment. So if I could have you for now turn to Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 25 and following. And if you would read with me at home uh, while I read. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God has so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lord, bless the preaching of your word. I know many of you have seen or read or heard about at least the Lord of the Rings story. And one of my favorite moments and quotes that I, I often remember, probably remember more often than any other quote, is when Frodo the hero is sitting next to Gandalf the wizard. And it's a moment when Frodo is discouraged and anxious and troubled by the great burden, the great moment that has been placed upon him. And he says to Gandalf, I wish it need not have happened in my time. And Gandalf answered him, so do I, so do I, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. J.R.R. Tolkien, who lived and fought in the Great World War 100 years ago, 
during which the Spanish flu epidemic was infecting millions of people around the world, surely understood Frodo's discouragement, Frodo's wish that this might not have happened in his time. But I think his advice coming through the voice of Gandalf echoes the calling of the Lord Jesus in this passage. It is not up to us to decide what time we are given. What is our calling is to consider what we are to do with the time we are given. And brothers and sisters, this time is a calling. It is a opportunity. It is some, some moment in our life, in our history, where the Lord himself, the Lord himself has called us to something. He has called us to himself, to his faithfulness, through his trustworthiness. And what I want to urge us to do this morning is to see this season not as a temporary pause on life, but as an opportunity, a calling given to us by our King. And the calling that this passage brings to us is to give our needs and ourselves to our King. That's how I would summarize the passage. Give your needs and yourself to your King. Seize this moment. Decide to give your needs and yourself to King Jesus. This passage has two main themes, a prohibition, that's the majority of the passage, what we're not to do, and then a command, what we're called to do. I'm going to break up the sermon in that way. Trust the king for everything. That's the first thing we're called to do. And the second thing is honor the king above everything. First, trust the king for everything. That's the majority of the passage. And then honor the king above everything. So let's dive into this passage. Jesus prohibits right away anxiety. Do not be anxious about your life, he says, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. He says, is not life more than food? Jesus often uses rhetorical question to make the point. Don't you think of life as being about more than what you eat? If you do not, you're missing out. Don't you think of life as more than what you eat? And he uses a, a wonderful parallel metaphor talking about flowers and birds to explain why we should not be anxious. He says, consider here, here, for example, he says, are the birds. They don't sow or reap. You've never seen a bird plowing a field. And yet somehow over the history of the world, there are still birds. They have not died out yet. If you want to go outside, and I actually would recommend this. Uh, in this season, go into your backyard, your back patio, and just notice creation. Notice that the sun is still rising. Notice that the sky is still in place. And notice some birds. They're still here after thousands and thousands of years because God himself feeds them. Here are the birds, Jesus says. They neither sow nor reap nor go to grocery stores, and yet God feeds them. Consider also the flowers, he says. Look at the fields full of flowers. You notice spring still comes in spite of the season we are in right now. Flowers still bloom. Why is that? They neither sow nor spin. And yet God himself clothes them. Jesus uses this simple observation to compare something that is far more valuable. He says, are you not of much more value than they? If God is concerned about the existence of birds and the continuation of flowers, is he not much more concerned about his precious children? 
Is not God more concerned about his children that he has claimed for eternal life than he is about the grasses of the field? Jesus says one day they're alive. The next day they're just weeds to be thrown into the fire to be burned. In other words, they're not worth very much, unlike God's own children that he cares for. He, he makes eye contact with us. And he tells each of us, listen, your father loves you much more than the birds and the flowers. And yet his care for them should remind you that he will care for you. Why should you not be anxious? Because your father is the one that provides all you need. So trust the king for everything you need. Trust your king for everything you need. Jesus sprinkles in a numbers of truths. In this illustrated point, the first is that worry is pointless. You notice the phrase where Jesus says, uh, which of you can add anything to your span of life? Did you notice that in verse 27? He's saying it's pointless. Worry is pointless. It can't extend your life, but it can waste your life. Worry can't make you live longer, but it can make you live in a way less worthy of the king. To, to worry is to think I can extend my jump over the Grand Canyon by adding bricks into my backpack. Look, it's pointless. You're going to make it in life as far as God wants you to be. And then your eyes will close and you will see him. Worry doesn't change that moment at all. It simply wastes the life that God has given us to live. Worry is pointless, Jesus says. Second truth he sprinkles in is that the, the one who is sovereign over the birds and the flowers and more importantly over us is our father. Did you see that in the passage? Jesus just throws in this astonishing comfort. Your heavenly father. What a precious phrase that is. Your heavenly father. He watches over the birds. He clothes the flowers, but he adopts. You are his child. He is your heavenly father. Apart from Jesus, we would be orphans. Here is the gospel message contained in a phrase. We would be orphans, alone and unprotected, uncared for in this world. And frankly, that is the case, even in a, a scary cultural moment like this, for those that do not belong to the Lord Jesus, there, there is nothing but human optimism to hope in. There is the hope that some medical ingenuity or governmental plan will ultimately make life less difficult. But for the Christian, the person who believes in Jesus Christ, God has become their father. The sovereign one has care uniquely for them, a care that he does not give to every human being. It is a unique fatherly love, contrary to our our, our way the world thinks right now, our way our culture thinks right now, God, God is not the father of every human being. He uniquely gives fatherly affection to those who know Jesus as their savior. And, and this is a moment to appeal. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, if you are just a human and not a Christian, let me urge you, come to the Lord Jesus, repent of your sins, believe in him as Savior. And here's the benefit. God, who rules over everything, every virus and every antidote and every flower and every bird, becomes not just your sovereign judge, but your father to care for you. 
let, let me urge you, turn to the Lord Jesus. And these words can be true of you too. Your father cares for you. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus sprinkles it in to remind his followers that God, because of him, because he died for their sins, because he claimed them as his own, because he reconciled sinners to God through his atoning death on the cross, because of what Jesus did, the judge becomes the father, the sovereign becomes the caretaker, and the flowers have nothing on God's love for his children. This is good news, brothers and sisters. God is our father in this moment. Second truth that Jesus sprinkles into this metaphor. Third is that Jesus says that failing to trust God is to have little faith. And it's to look as if we don't belong to the Lord. Did you notice that phrase? Why do you doubt, oh, you of little faith? Will he not much more care for you? And then he says later, why do you seek after these things? The Gentiles seek after them all, but your father knows that you need them. The point is that worry, worry is a denial of the love and care of God. Worry is not incidental in the Bible. It's not an afterthought. It is a, it's a direct denial of who God is and what he has promised to be. It is, it is not a small failure. It is, a, it is a cosmic denial. It, it is a, a way of characterizing God unfaithfully in this world. Is not God able to care for you, Jesus says? Why do you have little faith? Why do you worry about these kinds of physical things? Your Father is able to care for you. Do not be like those who have no God. Be like those who know God is their Father. A fourth truth that Jesus sprinkles in at the very end is that we are not like God, eternal creatures. We are not meant to live tomorrow and today at the same time. We are meant to live one day at a time. It's one of the ways God reminds us that we're not like him. We quite literally cannot live tomorrow today the way God can. And so do not worry about tomorrow. We face each day, one day at a time. The first duty we have in this moment, this moment that none of us wish would have come to us, this moment that we all are burdened by, the first duty we have is to trust our King, who is our Father, for everything. For everything. To trust our King for everything. Now, what does this mean? It doesn't mean we don't shop does mean you sit at home and wait for something to fall out of the ceiling that you can eat. No, it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean we don't take normal actions to work and provide for our families and look, look for wise, prudent measures of serving our families and our neighbors and our friends in this moment. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean we don't worry over diminished grocery supplies. It doesn't mean we don't work and all quit our jobs. It does mean... We don't devote ourselves to a frantic pursuit of material security. Here's a telltale question. When you hear about economic and cultural upheaval, whether it's grocery lines or shortages or drops in the stock market, what is the first and chief comfort in your mind? What is the first comfort? Does your mind go quickly to your pantry and what's present there? 
Does it go to your fridge and the reminder that you have some things frozen that will preserve you? Is that the first comfort of your mind? It has been for me at times. Is the first comfort the backup savings you have in your bank account or your 401k? What's the first comfort in your mind? It should be. Your heavenly father knows what you need. He will provide for you. Should you shop? Yes. While you're shopping, trust God. When you're facing that news about some scary prospect for the future, remember, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Your father knows what you need. Let me urge us to be faithful in this moment. This is our moment. God has not called us to run the world. God has called us to exhibit trust in him. This is what we are called to do. This is what we must decide to do right now, to trust in him, to work faithfully, to prepare faithfully, to serve our families faithfully, but to do all trusting in him. Trust the king for everything, Jesus says. And don't confuse, if I can encourage you, don't confuse playing the odds with trusting God. Don't confuse that. Sometimes optimism is confused for faith. Don't make that mistake right now. Some of us might find comfort in looking at percentages. I know I can. You might think, well, only a small percentage will be seriously affected, or it's unlikely that many, uh, a large percentage would die. So it's unlikely that I will be the one facing some profound difficulty or those near me. We look at two or four out of 100 and say, well, likely we'll be fine. Listen, optimism and percentages is not the same thing as faith, because when those percentages get worse, if they do, or if you happen to be the one who finds yourself in one of those percentages, suddenly that optimism disintegrates. It's a facade. It looks like faith, but it's merely optimism. Don't play percentages if the death rate of this illness were 10 times as high as it is, would you have more reason to worry than you do right now? If there was a 100% certainty that you would lose your job in the next month, would you have more reason to worry than you do right now? No, you would not. You would not have any more reason to worry if this illness was 10 times, 100 times as deadly as it is, because the same father is just as sovereign and just as caring for you now as he would be then. Don't confuse optimism and percentages for faith. Our God will provide all our needs according to his grace in Christ Jesus. Let me urge us to have faith in the Lord Jesus in this moment. This is a moment to trust our king for everything. But it's not just a moment for the absence of worry. It's also a moment for the presence of zeal. We're not just supposed to trust our king for everything. We're also supposed to honor our king above everything. And there is a difference. We might think of this passage as simply urging people to don't worry and be happy. But it is not simply doing that. It's not a, a encouraging a kind of a kumbaya optimism about life where we shouldn't be concerned about anything and simply live in a state of passivity. No, quite the contrary. Jesus provides the alternative, the godly alternative to worry is not passivity, it's godly zeal. Did you see that in the passage? Look, the Gentiles seek after material protection. They seek after their material comfort. They seek after their physical well-being. You're not just supposed to not do those things. 
but there is something you are supposed to do. Verse 33, seek first. That means above all. That means in priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as you do that, all these things will be added to you. Notice, notice these things are just provision for life. They are not luxury. They are not desires. They are provision for life. God's not promising if we are godly, he will give us a Lexus. He is promising if we are godly, he will give us food as long as we need food. He will give us the clothing shelter we need as long as we need it. He is not promising luxury. He is promising to sustain us as we seek first his kingdom. Honor the king above everything. Above everything, worry doesn't just reveal a lack of trust in God for material things. It also reveals a worship in our heart towards material things. As Jesus would say in the previous paragraph that leads into this, we cannot serve God and money. And we could expand that to say we cannot ultimately worship anything else ahead of God. We cannot love God with all of our hearts and also love something else with all of our heart. God has to take the first place in everything. We have a calling in this virus moment. This moment is a part of your life, Christian. It is a part of the calling that the Lord Jesus has given to you. This is not a, a pause. You know, when you're watching something with your children, they say, can you pause it for a second? This is not a pause on life. This is our life. This is our moment. Life is very brief. And this is one part of the life we've been given to give for the Lord, to seek his kingdom above everything. The promise of provision is not disconnected from our identity as followers of the king. The only people on earth who can confidently say that all things work for their good are those who love God. Those who love God because he first loved them. But those who seek his kingdom above everything else. He has called us. He has claimed us as his own. And our calling is to seek first his kingdom. That means to seek it above our own kingdoms, our own protection, our own provision. Our material comfort is not our king. Jesus is our king. Our inconvenience is not our king. Jesus is our king. Our well-being is not our king. Jesus is our king. And we are called to seek his kingdom and his righteousness above all. Let me give you just a few categories. We'll be talking more about some of these categories in future messages. But I want to give you a summary. Some of the categories where seeking his kingdom first comes to mind. Making it the priority. First, we can honor the king with our minds. I've heard terrible news this week about how this season is being used in the world to create greater temptations for people to look at things that are sinful, to seek sinful pleasures. And it doesn't surprise me because in the absence of activity, as one pastor said recently, we go first to our gods. And if our God is not the God, it doesn't mean we will stop worshiping him when we have more time. It just means we'll spend more time worshiping that false God. So we need to honor the Lord in our minds. Seek the kingdom first in our minds. This last couple of weeks, I have spent a considerable amount of time looking at news reports and reading about medical interventions and so forth. 
But listen, I don't want to look back over the next two months and say that most of what I did was stay up to date on the progress of this virus. I want to be able to look back and say at the end of these two months, I know God better and I believe in him more. But that means making the decision. That means for me making the decision this coming week to put down my phone and to pick up my Bible, to stop speculating and to start praying. Listen, we have a moment right now. And the most important person watching us is the king himself. He is watching us as we engage this moment. He is watching us and he wants to see us turning to him. And I see in my own heart many other options. Sinful options, news options, preoccupation and speculation options, many other options that I could look back two months from now and say, I faithfully served all those other options. But we were called to is seek the king. So, so let me just acknowledge to you that this is a temptation for all of us. It's a temptation for me. Let's not make this season about primarily staying up to date or pursuing sinful pleasures or activities, or, or even just indulging in an excessive way in other kinds of entertainment. Let's make this about seeking the king, deciding to seek his kingdom above everything else. We can honor the king with our minds. We can also honor the king in our families. We are going to be home more often this season. That means that our sin is going to be around each other more often. And in some cases, that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard. There's not the escape uh, to work for some of you or uh, just out of the house uh, to do the normal kinds of fun activities that God gives us in our life. Soccer seasons are canceled. We can't go to our favorite restaurant. There's a limitation right now. Let me urge fathers and mothers Honor the king first in your family time. Seize this moment as a moment to launch family devotions if you don't normally do those. We're going to be providing some family devotional options for you as pastors so that you can easily just gather your family and, and walk through some of the recommendations we can give to you. But it, it doesn't take any great strategy, just sitting down and praying together with the children and, and reading God's word. Let me, let me urge us, seek the king first in your family. If it gets difficult to be cooped up, remember that we're called to love each other and to be patient and peaceful with each other. Let's let the fruit of the spirit define this moment of the coronavirus forcing us to be together more often as families. Let's honor the king in our families in this season. A third category, we can honor the king in our church family. Listen, we can't gather on a Sunday. We can't even gather with all of our small groups, but we can still pray for one another and encourage each other. Let me urge you, the body grows when it builds itself up in love by speaking the truth. But let me urge us, look for ways to build up the body right now. How can you do it? Can you reach out to that friend and, and talk to them on the phone, encourage them as they face this moment? Can you pray for them if they are afraid? Can you send a, a, a Bible verse to them to encourage them? Can you, can you jump in on some kind of a video conferencing call and, and just express faith towards the Lord that can encourage your brother or sister? Look, let's Let's seek the kingdom first. And part of what that means is loving the citizens of the kingdom and caring for them and building them up and encouraging them in this moment. We are not alone. 
but many could feel alone if the church isolates itself from each other in this moment more than we even have to. Let me encourage us. Our responsibilities as Christians, as kingdom citizens, toward the other citizens of the kingdom do not end for the next couple of months. They do not end. They continue. What we are called to do is decide how we will seize this moment to build up the kingdom and its people. Seek the kingdom first in the church family. And finally, honor the king in our witness. Brothers and sisters, there is a moment for witness right now that is unique. I, I've heard someone say this week that surely, surely pastors should be those who are willing to personally suffer if it means that people might be more open to hearing the good news. I think that should be true of every Christian. Surely every Christian should be willing to personally suffer in a cultural moment of difficulty if it means that there might be greater opportunity to share with someone the good news and the hope that we have and the joy that we have that is greater and surpasses this moment of trial. Listen, we have the opportunity right now to express care and connection towards our neighbors, towards our coworkers, towards our family members who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that we might never have had without this trial. A text to a neighbor asking about their well-being and seeing if they need anything and can we serve them is going to mean something different now than it would have two months ago. The invitation to pray with someone is going to mean something different now than it would have two months ago. Who knows? The Lord might use this trial to shake many people free from the idolatries of comfort in this age. And to cause them to want to know a king who can lead them into a new city, not stained by sin, not marred by death. And there is one group on earth that is tasked to bring the face of that king into real life relationship with people. And that's his people. Seek the kingdom first through your witness. What does it look like? Does it look like sharing a diminishing supply of groceries with those who have none, perhaps? Does it look like giving a smile in a crowded grocery store aisle and asking this hard worker how you can pray for them? Does it look like reaching out to your neighbor? Does it look like calling a relative you haven't talked to in years? Look, what, what does it look like right now to seek the kingdom first? We can honor him in private in our minds. We should honor him in our families. We should honor him with our church family. And we should honor him in our witness. But what Jesus is saying is don't just stop worrying. Start seeking. Don't just stop being anxious. Start getting something done. It is not up to us to decide the times that God has ordained for us. What we have to do is to decide to seek the kingdom above all, to honor the king above all. Charles Spurgeon said this, let all your care go in this direction to serve God, to live for God, to glorify God. Seek this as earnestly as the merchant seeks more trade, as the miser seeks more gold, as the sick man seeks a return of health.
Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, let us decide to do with this moment what the Lord Jesus has called us to do. To trust the king for everything and to seek and honor the king above everything. Let's do that together for Jesus' sake, in his name, by the power of his spirit, and motivated by his grace. Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll sing a final song together. Lord Jesus, we come to you eager to honor you in this season. This is a moment you have given your church to honor you. So Lord, please give us faith. Give us strength. Motivate us. Lord, guard us from worry and anxiety and drive us toward faith and sacrifice and service. Lord, keep your kingdom foremost in our minds. We pray and we continue to ask for your sovereign mercy to heal the sick. Lord, to protect those who are vulnerable. And Lord, to move mightily as a witness to your kindness and mercy in our world. Give us, Lord, the privilege of seeing many come to you in this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.